Welcome to MedTech Insights Monthly Digital Health Roundup, where we talk about recent highlights of our coverage of the emerging digital health space. I'm Managing Editor Marion Webb, and with me today are our commercial team lead, Reed Miller, and from Washington, D.C., our regulatory reporter, Hannah Daniel. Hannah, let's start off with you. You attended the Healthcare Information and Management System Society Global Conference, better known as HIMSS, last month. What were some of the main takeaways? So artificial intelligence dominated the conference. You couldn't walk three feet without running into a workshop or virtual demonstration. I got to speak to PainCheck CEO Philip Daffis about his company's software, which uses AI to determine a patient's pain level by reading their facial expression. The software was approved in Australia in 2018 and has also been approved in the EU and Canada. Currently, PainCheck is seeking approval in the U.S., Cox's George Valentine told MedTech Insight that the conference was like a coming out party for AI. We spoke about Cox's recent survey, which looked at the hurdles that healthcare delivery organizations face when trying to become, quote unquote, smart hospitals. Smart hospitals, while varying in definitions between companies, must meet the following criteria to be considered smart. They must be connected, data driven, integrated, automized, safe and secure, experience centric innovative, and virtualized. According to the recent survey that Cox did, the lack of funding and expertise are some of the biggest concerns for hospitals, while regulations and executive support are lower hurdles. Cox plans to create a roadmap to becoming a smart hospital for any facility at any step in the process. Finally, I had the opportunity to speak to Gari Kachako from Wipro about her company's virtual clinical trial demonstration. Wipro created a metaverse-based program that allows patients to find eligible clinical trials in places with high levels of foot traffic like pharmacies, airports, or train stations. For instance, if a patient is going to a pharmacy to pick up a prescription, a pharmacist can direct them to one of Wipro's pods. In there, this virtual clinical trial will act as a pre-pre-screen, and once the patient consents, a site coordinator for the clinical trial can contact them. The demonstration is offered in the participants' chosen language, giving traditionally disenfranchised patients an opportunity to engage with previously inaccessible clinical trials, helping to diversify them. The FDA has recently set a goal of diversifying clinical trials, and pieces of the Diverse and Equitable Participation in Clinical Trials Act, also known as the DEPICT Act, were included in the 2023 Consolidated Appropriations Bill. The new legislation requires clinical trial sponsors to include diversity action plans. Great reporting from Hims Hannah. And talking about the FDA, you've also written about new FDA guidances. What can you tell us about that? So the Food and Drug Administration is making good on promises laid out in the Food and Drug Omnibus Reform Act of 2022, also known as FEDORA. You may remember the Consolidated Appropriations Act that passed in December. FEDORA was a part of that. And ever since then, industry members have been waiting for specific instructions from the FDA about specific digital health regulations, including predetermined change control plans, also known as PCCPs. The FDA released its guidance on PCCPs at the beginning of April. PCCPs are a list of modifications a company plans to make post-market to keep their AI and ML devices up to date and must be included in a device's pre-market submission. There are three pieces to a PCCP, the modification list, the modification protocol, and an impact assessment. 
For many people, the guidance was unsurprising in a good way. A lot of the regulations concerning the components of a PCCP and what should be included in the pre-market submission were similar to the FDA's original proposal, which was called a proposed regulatory framework for modifications to artificial intelligence and machine learning based software as a medical device, which was published back in 2019. Great. Thanks for that reporting, Hannah. Now, read over to you. There was some big news from Amazon recently. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right, Marianne. So Amazon is exiting the fitness wearables business. At the end of April, the company said it will stop supporting the Halo wearable fitness devices along with the associated health data service as of the end of July. And the devices will no longer work at all after that. The company said it will refund any devices that have been bought in the last year. Halo didn't actually last very long. The company launched the the first one, Halo Band, in just 2020. And why did Amazon give up on fitness wearables? Well, they didn't offer a lot of details, but apparently they just lost hope that it was ever going to be more than a very marginal business for Amazon. They called it an experiment. Amazon said that they've been making a lot of cost-cutting moves lately. Uh, They've shed about 27,000 jobs recently. The, the people that were supporting Halo will also have to find new jobs, although Amazon said they were going to try to help those people stay in, in Amazon. It's also worth recalling that Amazon in August 2022 closed its Amazon Care healthcare service, and that was just a few months after they had announced plans to expand it. So apparently the company is okay with just trying things and then giving up if, if they don't grow the way they want them to. Um, apparently, they're probably going to be maybe a little more selective in the businesses they compete in going forward. Like I said, they're they're cutting costs. We tend to think of Amazon as just kind of doing everything and selling everything. Um, and they've made certainly a lot of noise about getting into healthcare. But in consumer health products, especially, looks like there's just room for only so many big competitors. And Amazon doesn't think it's going to be one of those. Also, we do recently have led some podcasts that people interested in digital health may want to check out. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I hope so. So uh, I've been doing the Cardio Conversations podcast, and in that I talk to leaders at mostly companies who are in some part of cardiovascular technology. Now, most recently, I talked to Quentin Blackford. He is the CEO of iRhythm about his company's plans to bring long-term cardiac monitoring to more patients by building its evidence base and marketing in more countries around the U.S. Either Rhythm is mostly known for their ECG patches called Zio, uh, but those are just part of this very sophisticated artificial intelligence system the company uses to identify arrhythmias, and they've been making a lot of progress in getting that to more physicians in more countries. So sort of related to that, also in April, I talked to Rob Crumman. He's the CEO of Vector Medical, and they're using, again, very uh, sophisticated computational modeling. And they're also looking at 12 lead electrocardiography data to identify cardiac arrhythmias, sort of related to what iRhythm is doing. This is all relatively new so far, but it's growing very rapidly And I think we'll have a lot more podcast conversations about these kinds of applications of artificial intelligence, deep learning, et cetera, to cardiac monitoring. There's um, a lot of incentive to try to find these problems before uh, people end up in the hospital or worse. So we'll talk uh, about a lot of other kinds of cardio tech, too. But I expect the digital tech will be the dominant topic in that podcast for a long time. And talking about some interesting conversations with CEOs. Marion, you recently spoke with two CEOs that you met at a conference that was about ChatGBT, which, of course, is OpenAI's developed 
chatbot that has continued to make headlines because it can generate human sounding responses to a wide range of questions very quickly. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So this was actually not a conference about ChatGPT, but it was during LSI's Emergent MedTech uh, Summit. During this conference, I actually spoke with two CEOs of Israeli-based startups to talk about their plans for the company. And of course, with all the talk about ChatGPT and its promise in healthcare, I was curious to learn whether these two CEOs have already explored the use of AI-powered tools such as ChatGPT, and if they haven't, um, if if they're planning on doing so. So one of the CEOs I spoke to was Juval Mandelbaum, who is the CEO of Discure Technology. I asked him whether he's looked at ChatGPT, and he said he's played around with it for a few weeks and was very impressed with it. So I asked him for examples, and he said when he asked uh, the chatbot for responses to some due diligence questions that he received from a potential investor, the chatbot actually generated some highly intelligent responses, he said, that were very human-like and was impressive. He also, he also foresees that he may use this type of technology for marketing materials and general correspondence, or at least he sees the potential for it, for things like presentations that he gives or speeches and marketing material that could be used, for instance, such as on LinkedIn. He also expects that the AI tool is going to be very helpful with drafting legal contracts, and he actually said he tried that with a very simple contract. But he noticed that the chatbot wasn't always accurate in its generated responses. So he said he doesn't foresee that he'll do away with any human legal counsel to draft legal documents anytime soon. The other CEO I spoke with is Almog Ras, and he heads up Corniat Vision. He was also impressed with ChatGPT. He said it generated a very impressive list of suitable key opinion leaders based on very specific criteria within minutes. And he said something like this probably would have taken a human hours or even days to accomplish. Both men foresee that AI technologies like ChatGPT will be very helpful in analyzing documents and extracting data. But with all this positivism, there are also concerns. Mr. Mandelbaum did say that he would have privacy concerns if ChatGPT made its way into his emails and business correspondence and said that it's important that these types of AI applications are regulated, which, of course, is a major issue uh, worldwide right now. Okay, well, thanks for that, Marion. AI is certainly a topic we're following closely and on multiple fronts. I know you also recently spoke with digital leaders at G Healthcare and Siemens Healthineers about their integration of AI into their imaging and diagnostic businesses. So we'll hear more about that soon. Our readers can read all about these topics and a lot more at medtechinsight.com. There you can also access all of our podcasts, including past editions of the Digital Health Roundup and all of the other podcasts from our sister publications like Pink Sheet, Script, HBW, and Invivo. You can just click at the podcast menu at the top of the homepage. Thanks and have a great week.